0: Oh, all right. As you can see, the devil is interrupting us again, messing with us. We just were uh, trying to continue. We got cut off. Not sure why, but I do know when you're preaching the real gospel, this is what you can expect from the devil. So back to Exodus 20. This is where we're going to pick up where we left off. Exodus 20. And I want to look at verse 1. And it says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So he says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So what commandment is that? Loving the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay. What is this? Uh, the next one. He says, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the earth. Above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, and then he says, "Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity, uh, um, visiting the iniquity of the fathers um, upon the children unto the third and fourth generation for them that hate me." So you understand that. This is all about hating God if you're an idolater. If you've got any other God before God, this is the only thing that he ever said would visit the third and the fourth generation. This, and I think he spoke of witchcraft as well, like dealing with the occult, that it would go from generation to generation. So as you can see, God has a hatred for this. But if you love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you won't do this. So that's what this whole thing is about, loving the Lord. So look at verse six and it says, and shewing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. What are his commandments? It all goes back to the very beginning. Look at verse seven. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. If you love the Lord, you are not gonna take the Lord's name in vain. You're gonna reverence it high and holy and you're gonna speak of it with meaning, not just, you know, freely. Look at verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, a lot of people hang on this and say, see, it tells you remember to keep it and keep it holy. So let's keep reading. He says, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, in it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within the gates. Um, for in six days the Lord, hath, the Lord made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them uh, is and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Some people would say, well, you see this here. that means that we probably shouldn't be doing anything else, but we must understand they were just out of Egypt. They didn't love the Lord. They didn't even know their God, okay, at this point. So he was revealing himself to them, and he told them, you know, for one 24-hour period, which is a Saturday, do not, I think it was Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, that they were not allowed to do any type of work. They were supposed to take that rest and reverence the Lord. What did the Lord compare it to? He compared it to the six days that he created the earth and in seven days he rested from his word. That was speaking of a type of seven or them going into the spirit by doing so. But now that we have the Holy Spirit, we've got every day with the Lord. And that's why Jesus says, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. He says, so therefore, I the Lord or I the son of man am Lord of the Sabbath. So if you keep Jesus, you're keeping your Sabbath. The Sabbath was only to teach a bunch of, you know, heathen Israelites, how to love the Lord and spend time with him. But see, now that we got the Holy Ghost, we do this by nature. We want to spend time with God by nature. No one's got to program a day for you to reverence the Lord. If you want to love the Lord, with a 24-hour period, that's fine. You want to spend time with him, but that means you only think of him seven, one day out of seven, okay? If that's the day you want to give the Lord, so be it. But if you're doing it because of the Lord, we're going to find out how even this falls under the curse. So this is about reverencing the Lord and giving the Lord time. But if you are a Christian in Christ and Christ lives in you, you're spending time with the Lord all day, every day, all right? So that's the thing. That's the thing. It's about giving it unto the Lord. I know people aren't going to like it, I can't help them. So anyway, he says in verse 12, now look, the next thing starting with verse 12 is about loving your neighbor. He says, honor thy father and thy mother, that that thy days may be long upon the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So, you know, you love the Lord thy God, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Mom and dad are your neighbors too. Now this is your love towards man. That's what we gotta understand. The first five commandments were about your love to God. This now is symbolic for love to man. So anyway, he says um, in verse thirteen, "Thou shalt not kill." Why wouldn't you kill? Because you love. Jesus said, "If you look at, a, if you are angry with your brother without a cause, you're a murderer. Well, that's considered that, that's guilty of murder. But if you love your neighbor," then you're not going to kill. It's that simple. All right? The next one, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to sleep with his wife. He's not going to sleep with, I mean, you're not going to sleep with her husband. Okay, so I'm getting turned around here. That, could be
1: both, uh, that, could, that one there could actually be the first and the second. because With mm-hmm.
0: the first, you can actually commit adultery against the Lord. Yeah. You can commit fornication against mm-hmm. the Lord. That's right but all things are going up here under adultery. But look at uh, verse 15, thou shalt not steal. That's all about loving your neighbor, okay? Then he says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That's about loving your neighbor. Now you understand what Jesus says on those two commandments, keep all the law and the prophets. If you fulfill the first and great commandment, which is to love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second to love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments, you fulfill the ten. That's what's important for people to get. All right. So verse 17: Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house. Uh, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his maidservant. his manservant. That's like his you know, personal worker in the house, nor his maidservant, nor his ox nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were moved and stood afar off. So you see, but the the point here is, is that we need to love the Lord thy God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You fulfill the first five of the 10 commandments. If you love, and then from there, you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. Because the Bible makes clear that God is love. So if you love God and God's love is in you, you're gonna love people by nature. That's the way that this is supposed to be. Some people will preach love all day, but won't tell people about they're in danger of hellfire for not obeying God. You know why? That's not pure love. That's partial love. I'm preaching the love of Jesus to you because I want you to love me. But I'm not gonna tell you all the other things that Jesus says, because I know right away that's going to offend you and you're not gonna wanna like me or do what God says. We've got to tell people the truth that we love them. It's just that simple. Yeah. That's what this whole thing is about. All right, so let's move on. Now that we've covered that, I know some people don't think that that's important, but uh, let's go to Galatians chapter three. I wanna go to Galatians three to prove a point. Matter of fact, let's go to Galatians one. Galatians 1 first. I want to prove a point here. Man, the devil always gotta come around messing with your stuff. You're sitting here just trying to serve the Lord, and he's gotta come and turn you off. And the devil is good at what he does. All the people he can mess with, he's coming around here messing with us. Why don't you go to a church where there's more people that you can pick on? And some people were saying, uh-huh, that's why it happened, because he ain't sitting in a church. See? I told you he wasn't, right? All right, so this is Galatians 1. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Look at verse four again. This says about Jesus Christ, who himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. So, what is the plan of God that we get delivered from this present evil world? And he says, according to the will of God and our Father. So that's God's will that we get delivered from this present evil world. Look at verse five: To whom be glory and um, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that calleth you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So Paul went to the Galatians and said, I can't believe it. After the time that we've been around here, after everybody's heard the truth, after you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here you are paying attention to some other gospel. He's like, man, whatever happened? And look at what he says, not just another gospel, but he says, You are so, 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 so removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ. You know what it is to be under grace? It means you're not under the law. When you're under grace, you are um, partaking in a relationship with God where God's giving us a chance to get to know him in a more intimate way that we won't fall away until sin. You know, that that we need grace to be sanctified to have things pulled out of our lives that we can be like Jesus. So he's talking about grace here, but these people have left the grace of God unto another gospel. When you try and keep the law, the old Levitical law, all you do is frustrate the grace of God. And we're gonna prove this. So anyway, in verse eight, it says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than which ye have received, Um, let you be accursed or let him be accursed. And as we said before, so say I now again, that if any man preach um, any other gospel unto you, than that which he have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So you understand that this is not about pleasing men, this is about pleasing God. But the reason I went here and why we're gonna move off from this, but Paul says he marvels that the Galatians just went right into another gospel. After learning about serving Jesus Christ by faith, they go off and start believing something else because the Pharisees at this time and these other Jews were going to different areas trying to tell people, Well, if you keep the law, I mean, you can have Jesus, but you got to keep the old Levitical law, too. And that's what's going on here today is why people are frustrating the grace of God. I'm going to prove this. Let's go to um, Galatians three and let's look at verse one. People hate this. You know why? Because they're proud. They want to they want to fall in line with what they like. Oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. All right. So anyway, he says, this is uh, verse uh, uh, three. I mean, chapter three. This is Galatians three. Let's look at verse one. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? So he called them foolish Galatians. Who bewitched you? Who tricked you into believing that you can have the grace of God and then still keep the old Levitical law? He says, man, he can't believe that this is going on. He calls them foolish. Guys, you started on the right path, but now you're listening to these people telling you about keeping the law. How are these things of God? You know, look at verse two. This only would I learn of you, receive ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So Paul is asking them, guys, how did you hear this? Was it from the works of the law, doing the old Levitical law, you received the spirit of God? Or was it by the hearing of faith and you believed? So what people got to get down, look at verse three. Are ye so foolish having begun in the spirit? are ye now made perfect by the works of the flesh or by the flesh? So you can't be in the spirit and be made perfect by the flesh. This is something that I see happens to people a lot. And I got to speak on this, man, because this is bad. But the thing is, is like, when you see people get saved and they give their lives to Jesus, I've seen this a hundred times, man, or more. They give their lives to Christ. Someone ministers the gospel to them And they say, you know what? That's absolutely true. It struck me in the heart. And now, Lord, I want to serve you. And you know what happens? They run straight past Jesus, right into religion. They'll go and sit in the church for 20 years and never know Christ. Because at the time you're trying, and I'm not saying in every church, but there are times when you love the Lord and you wanna run to him and Jesus wants to take you and use you now and even put you in a place of worshipers that the spirit can remain, but people will flock right to the nearest church, listen to their families, listen to their friends. Oh, well, you need to go to church, baby. That's what the problem is. You need to get on back into that church. And you see, when you go back there, you'll go back, become religious, Forget about Jesus and you'll be serving your pastor and your elders and everybody else and not Christ. I'm not saying church order isn't right. I'm making the point that a lot of people fall because of the fact that they don't know Christ. Even when you go to church, you still gotta have a relationship with Jesus. You still gotta um, study the Bible yourself and draw closer to Christ. But a lot of people, man, get they get born again of the spirit, and go right back under the works of the Lord. All right, I want to be an usher. I'll sweep the church. I'll do this. I'll do that. And the pastor tell you, all right, and then when you get done with that, I got my car outside. And after you wash it, wax it. But you see, a lot of people will think they're becoming the pastor's armor bearer, that they're drawing closer to the pastor, and they forgot all about Jesus. You know, they'll tell you, my pastor's a good man. What about Christ? Oh, yeah, we have services where, you know, everybody gets together in love. What about Christ? You see what I'm saying? People can forget all about Jesus, but they'll sit there like a singer of a song and they're just, pastor's a good man. You know, and that's what people look at But do you feel that way about Jesus? You see what I'm saying? When you love Jesus with everything, you know one thing you don't do? You don't worship men.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And I'll tell you another thing, you're not impressed by any man. Because Jesus Christ comes to fill you with his spirit and make you whole. So I'm not saying be disrespectful, but when you see people like, you know, the pastor walk in and everybody, that's our pastor. I'm sitting there. You know, like I want to hear the message, you know, what this is about. I'm here to reverence Christ, not men. But you see, men will always take. See, he's here, and they look at the pastor like he's some celebrity. Do you guys not know he's supposed to be the chief servant of the church? That's what he's supposed to be before God. You see what I'm saying? But he walks around and people will just, they'll forget all about their brothers. Their brothers will be, hey brother, how's things going? You, yeah, yeah, let me talk to the pastor. But you know, they, they look at these people and they reverence men where the Bible says that all these pastors, apostles, prophets and evangelists and all these gods are supposed to do? Just perfect the saints to do the work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ. Their job is to get you ready to do a job for Christ. Right. That's it. But you see, the church has been redefined that everybody serves the pastor, the church becomes his palace, and everybody in there is his servant. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But Paul says, man, I marveled that you're so removed from the gospel, all right. So anyway, he says. Now look at verse three again. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain, he's saying, guys, what you're doing in vain. This this is vain. This is vanity. Look at verse five. He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So, you know, is it because I went out and sacrificed a bullock that I can lay hands on the sick and someone recovers? Or is it because, you know, I have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? I believe in the power of his spirit. I believe in the miracles. And I believe that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Which is it? Is it because you kept the Sabbath day? Is it because you don't have pork in your diet anymore? I wanna know which one of these laws it is that allows you to do the miracles in Christ. It's none of that. This is about the hearing of the word of God by faith. Look at verse six, even as Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. So what is Abraham? He goes beyond the law. Abraham was before the law of Moses and Abraham was known as a friend of God. You see what I'm saying? What the Bible wants to do, what Jesus Christ came to do was to bring us right back all over the law. It's almost, if you go back to Abraham, it's like the law of Moses never existed. Because you see, before, before when Abraham's time was, there was no um, Levitical law. The Levitical law came when they went into slavery and forgot their God and fooled around in Egypt with all those idols, then they needed to be taught again, who God is. So God gave them a law to follow, to be a righteous people and appease him through works. But that wasn't God's finished work. That was a result of man forgetting God and not knowing who God was. But when Jesus Christ came, that was a game changer. Yeah, let's let's, let's continue. So anyway, so Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, only because he believed. That was it. Okay, look at verse seven. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith are the same are the children of Abraham. So if we are children of faith, we are the children of Abraham. That means the law has no place with you. You don't know it. You don't remember it. You never heard of it. You're back to the time of Abraham that believed God. And you know what? Because Abraham hated idols and believed God, God took care of Isaac. Isaac loved God, didn't believe in idols. Um, You know, God took care of Jacob. Jacob loved God, didn't believe in idols. Jacob was so loved by the Lord that his name was changed to Israel, which means like God's woman, like almost like his bride. That's why he was called Israel instead of Jacob. But you see, that's the intimacy that they had with God. All they did was believe. Lord, I believe you, I don't know how this is gonna go. And God made all three of those men rich, all three of them rich, that they were wealthy, they didn't need any man. Wherever they went, that lamb was blessed because of who God was. Where Joseph went, the lamb was blessed because of who Jacob was. So you see, these men had an intimacy with God that their children were blessed and their children's children. And When they went into Egypt, and that changed the whole scenario because they were not the people. They might've been by, by inheritance, but they were not the people by nature. So what did he come to do? Jesus came that we may be the people of God by nature, not by works. Now I should be able to close the book here just from reading this, but you're gonna find people are gonna come up with more. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna continue reading. So he says, look at eight, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preach before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are the blessed with faithful Abraham. And this is clear. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. What curse? For it is written, "Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them." Now, some people could say, "Oh, well, that means you know it's written in the book of the law, so that means we're going back to Levitical law." Let's see what he's talking about here. So he says in verse eleven but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. What law? The Mosaic law. No man is justified by that law before God. But look at what he says next. Uh, Where am I? (laughs) Verse 11. So he says, justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. So you want to be justified? Believe on Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. All right. And then he says in verse 12, and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. So if you want to go back to the Levitical law, you're going to live in the law. And that's why it's important. And you're going to be judged by it too. OK, because for you to go back to Levitical law, excuse me, is pretty much saying, well, Jesus never came and I don't believe. I believe I've got to do more than just believe on Christ. And you see, when you don't believe on Christ, you don't believe in what he said. Jesus said to keep all the law and the prophets. People wanna run right back to the law. And he says, you're gonna live in them. So if you live in the law, you're gonna be judged according to the law. That way, if you look at a woman with lust on your heart, you're falling from grace, buddy. We need to take you out and just stone you right now. You know, because of the fact that you haven't accepted grace from Christ. This is the curse of the Lord. If any man does the law, you will live in the Lord because you have not because you believe that the Lord will justify you and not the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. That's what the whole curse is. This is what the false church tries to keep you and I from understanding and from seeing. It's about Jesus. All church is supposed to be is a group of people in there that believe and love Jesus, that loves their neighbor, that will do the works of Jesus. But you got a lot of false stuff going on here today, man. And, you know, just trying to keep Christmas tells you a lot about whether or not you love Christ. One, he didn't tell you to do it. Two, that's something that you came up with to give to him, but that's not what he asked you for. And all these things, idolatry, and Man. crazy stuff let's look at verse 13 Christ hath redeemed us from the from the curse of the Lord being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree so what what does that mean Jesus hung on the tree now when it says tree it doesn't mean physical tree it's talking about the oak he hung on the cross Jesus bore your sin and my sin. He took the curse of Adam and the law and everything included, and he nailed it to that cross. That's the fulfillment of the law. That's what he did. He took the curse of the law, the curse of Adam, the curse of man, and he he was bled out for you and I. That sacrifice was made that you and I would have to live under the law no more. You don't believe me, guys, go to Colossians 2 and read eight through all the way down to the end, where it says that he blotted, the um, it was blotted out their handwriting and was nailed to the cross of God, that we're not under the law. Yeah. But I tell you what, if people don't use this grace period to know Christ at the coming of Jesus, we're going back to the law. And if you have not been perfected in Christ, you're gonna be judged without mercy. That's what this thing is about. The grace period is that we can become like Christ. That's what this is about, man. That's the only law that you're gonna be keeping. All right, so anyway, he says in verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles uh, through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, through sacrificing a bullet. Right, is that what it says? Through keeping the Sabbath. That's how we get the Spirit. It says through the spirit, through faith. Look at verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, uh, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. So you can't add anything to what God has given us as a covenant. You can't take away from it and you can't add to it. Look at verse, because you know why? They were trying to tell these guys, all right, You can have Jesus, but you gotta keep the law too. So that's why Paul is saying, you can't add to it and you can't take away from this. This is a new covenant. What did Jesus give them the last supper for? To show them this is the blood of the new covenant. What does new covenant mean? New Testament, this is not the old law. You gotta shout loud so these people can hear you. Look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promise made, the promises made. Uh, he saith not, Oh, and to the seeds of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the Lord, which was four hundred and thirty years after, cannot disannul that which should be of the promise of. N- that should make the promise of none effect. So pretty much Abraham was before the law. This is what he's saying. So the time that they spent after that with the law, he says, man, that can't take away the promise that God made Abraham. God promised Abraham that his people would be a blessed people. He promised them that they would be the children of God. Out of Abraham would come many children of of the world. Mm -hmm. So the law could not take that promise away. And God's plan wasn't to make more people after Abraham, it was to give more people the spirit of God so that they could believe like Abraham. That's what this is about, that they would be the children of faith, not the children of works. And I'm not speaking against good works, but we must understand that we are saved so we can do good works. It's not good works that makes you saved. Anyway, he says, um, verse 18, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise." So if you wanna keep the law, you're out of the promise. So you may as well just seal yourself right out of it. Just erase your name off the contract because you believe in something more than what God says. So look at verse 19, wherefore then serveth the law. He says, man, do you realize that you won't be a part of this inheritance, so you're gonna serve the Lord? He's asking about right. He says it was added because of what? Transgressions till the seed should come and whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. It, um, is the Lord then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given, which could have um, given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Now this is true. What was the importance of the coming of Christ if you thought keeping the law was gonna make you right? That means you don't believe. That means, all right, I got Jesus and the Levitical law, so I could be perfect. Oh, you're gonna be incomplete and you're gonna be damned. Okay, It's about believing in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Where am I? Verse 22. But the scripture hath concluded, all sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So you want the spirit. You know how to get it. Believe in Christ. Look at verse 23. But before faith came, uh, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed so they couldn't even get the spirit by keeping the law. They were shut up, they were shut away from it. So that's why it says in uh, Hebrews 11, when it talks about all these people that believe through faith, he said they accomplished all these things, yet not having that promise that God promised us. We've got the spirit, they didn't even have the Holy Ghost and they believed God. That just shows you how far faith can take you. But Jesus has given us his spirit that his work may be complete. And the completion of the work of man is Christ in you. That's what this is about. That's why Jesus can say, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I don't need to keep a Sabbath day to be made righteous. I am righteous. The Sabbath was given for man, not man for the Sabbath. But people don't even, you know, (laughs) they don't believe man. You know why they wanna be somebody. This is verse 24. Wherefore the Lord was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the Lord was just a schoolmaster to teach man how to love God, how to have an understanding of God, to have the Lord get under your skin to recognize nobody can keep this, man. So when Jesus came, he was supposed to be celebrated. Like, man, thank God you're here. You know, because... He came to take all that hard bondage away. People want to just stay right up under it. But he says, look, so the law was only a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. That's all it is. Look at verse 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Am I saying this or is Paul saying this? We're not under the schoolmaster, which is the law. Man, but you know, it's amazing. You know what the problem is? They don't read. They let the pastor tell them what, or they just, you know, they just hear other people, but they don't look this stuff up themselves. This is crystal clear. (laughs) Forgive me for getting excited, man, but it's just like, it's right here. I'm sure your Bible says that too, right? Your Bible says that too, right? This says it in English and the I bet you it even says it in the NIV. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, come on. Really? Look at verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, but ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and is according to the promise. There you go. Mm-hmm. So you see, if we are under Christ, we're Abraham's seed. And according to the promise, we will have these things by faith. But people wanna keep the law, man. I'm telling you, it's gonna stunt your growth in Christ. You're gonna go up under a curse. If you keep the law, you're gonna be judged according to the law. Not me, man. I can understand grace and Lord, I gladly accept you. Because if you go beyond that, and the Lord was merciless. Oh, you sinned, you got caught doing it. Your parents couldn't like beg the priest to let you go. The Lord is like, no, man, this has gotta be done. So in many cases, parents were with the priest stoning their own kids because they understood the righteousness of God. Man, this is how serious it was. And all we got is Christ today. And people want to jump right back up under the law. All right, so this is Galatians 4. We'll start at verse one. It says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, uh, differeth of nothing from the servant, though he be the Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. So some people could say, see, Jesus was right here under the law. Yeah, he grew up in it. But when he began his ministry at the age of 30, all that stuff went away. That's the point that people got to understand because the spirit was on him at that point. So he says in verse five, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it, How be it then, uh, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods." So when you didn't know God, you were serving other gods. This is why God had to make it personal. He knew Israel had a problem. He would reveal himself to them, but they kept wanting to go and serve Baal and Ashtoreth and Easter and Christmas and all these other things. You see, but this is what it's about because they they were serving gods that were no gods by nature. You see what I'm saying? Because they didn't have the nature of God, no matter what God told them. Look at verse nine, but now after that ye have known God or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. So what is he calling the law here? Bondage. He says, man, you wanna go back to the weak and beggarly elements to be brought under bondage when you knew God and God knows you? Man, are you kidding me? That's like going back outside the door again and asking and knocking, asking God to let you in that he don't even know. So God allows you to become a son and you go and tell God you want to be adopted by somebody else. And then you want to just come back and start the process again. What would be the point in that? Ridiculous. uh, Verses that you read if a man had a wife and she
1: departed and became another man's wife.
0: He decided to go back to him. How greatly polluted will that land be? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's what man is not understanding. Jesus had removed the veil and we put it back up nice and neat because we want to do our thing. That makes no sense.
1: Exactly.
0: And he said they'll go right back to bondage. Look at verse 10. Ye observe days and months and times and years. What is he talking about? He's talking about the old law all that stuff. But you see, they observe these times because remember the seven sacred annual feasts that they were keeping, you know, the Passover, this, that, and all these other things. This is what he's talking about. You guys are observing all this, the Jubilee period, Pentecost. You're, you're observing all this. But he says, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. So Paul is saying, you guys are sitting there and keeping these old feasts. Not even recognizing, I'm afraid of you now because I just told you the truth and you went back to what you do. So now that looks like I I had you guys laboring in vain. Why did I even come and preach the gospel of Christ through faith and you guys are running back up under the law? How did that help? How did that help? You know, so I pretty much helped in vain because you guys don't believe and I don't want to believe I labored in vain, but the way that you guys are acting is making me believe this. <laughs> All right, let me continue. So anyway, in verse 12, he says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye are not injured. I mean, ye ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first, and my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despise not. Nor rejected, but received me as an angel, like a messenger of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness uh, ye spake of? But I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. So Paul was saying at one point they received him, you know, well when he first came to them, and they all knew that Paul used to be a sinner. But you know, they forgave him and they welcomed him in. Look at verse 16. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well, yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing and not only when I am present with you, my little children of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. So Paul's whole plan is, he's travailing with them in birth pains until they bring forth Christ in them, until they become the image and likeness of Christ. This is the goal, not the law, but to let the spirit come upon you to know Jesus, till it overflows in you that Christ is formed in you. That's all God wants for us, but anyway, in verse 20, he says, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, and one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. So you know that this is Isaac and Ishmael. Remember these two sons. But he who was of the bondwoman, was born after the flesh. What does that mean? You guys remember? That was Sarah's plan. That wasn't God's plan. So it took a fleshly mind to say, you know what? Um, I'm 99, I'm 90 years old. I don't think I'm gonna have kids. However old she might've been at the time. You know, I think she was 90 when she had Isaac. So she was probably 80 then or like, you know, 77. Cause you know, Isaac is, um, 13 years younger than Ishmael. But that was a plan of the flesh. That wasn't of God. So there was going to be no promises brought there except God's mercy on Ishmael, you know, said so that he would have 12 princes. He would be a rich nation. You look at the Arab nation today, they're rich. The Arabs are the richest people in the Middle East, probably throughout the world, honestly. But God blessed them, and that blessing is still on them unto this day. All right, but anyway. He says, uh, oh, after the flesh, this is verse 23, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory, but these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, um, which is Agar, which is Hagar, that's who he's talking about, the mother of Ishmael. He says, for this, Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children." So we must understand that the flesh is always gonna be subject to the spirit, if we be of Christ. So you see, even though Hagar, he says she's like a Mount Sinai to Arabia, there's still answers to Jerusalem. All that stuff that went on in the wilderness, as far as the law is concerned, that's Mount Sinai. But here we're dealing with Mount Zion in Jerusalem. This is the time of Christ. This is the city of Christ. Jerusalem was in the promised land, not in the wilderness. So you see how the soul follows the spirit? If Egypt was the flesh, the wilderness would be the soul, and the promised land was the spirit. And that's what they were moving from. They were getting out of the flesh, traveling, to go into the soul, okay, to learn to work things out. Where did their problems begin? In the wilderness. Where do our problems begin? In our mind, will, and emotions. Because when we get saved, we don't believe that God can do all these things or we we want to believe him, but we're not sure. So that's what the wilderness is for. The wilderness is a barren land that you have to need God to sustain. God's gonna show you in a place of barrenness that I'll make you fruitful. So that gives you faith when you're in the wilderness. But when you get into the spirit, that's the promised land. And when it came time for them to believe God, to get into the promised land, they didn't have the faith. They backed away from seeing those giants. OK, so this is what he's talking about here, about the bond woman and the free woman. You know, Hagar, you know, her promise, the promise to her wasn't even didn't even come from her. It came from someone else. But when God made the promise, Isaac was the blessed child. Isaac represents the new covenant, okay, by promise. But um, Ishmael represents the old covenant, which was of the flesh. That makes sense? All right, so um, where am I? Verse uh, 26, but Jerusalem, which is above, um, is free, which is the mother of us all. Uh, For it is written, rejoice thou barren, that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate have many more children than she that have husband. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him, that was born after the spirit, even so is it now. It is now. This is true. Now you remember that there came a point where Ishmael didn't like Isaac. He actually wanted to do something to hurt him. Wasn't he holding like a... a a rock or something he had to like hurt um, Isaac and that's when Sarah said get that woman and her son out of my house she brought them in there but now she's throwing them out because of the fact that he was trying to hurt him he was trying to hurt Isaac so we got to understand that even to this day those of us who believe God by faith and have the spirit we're persecuted by the people that keep the law. don't you see that don't you see how they hate you when you try and tell them, stop being bound up and chained and be free and believe God? They can't believe that. They'll put the chains right back on them. You know why? Because a slave hates a free man. If someone's walking around free and you're bound up in chains, you hate that person by nature. Instead of asking them, man, how do you get free so I can be free? They hate you because you're free and they want to be bound up. That's what this whole thing is about. Where am I? Verse 30. Nevertheless, of uh, what saith the scripture, cast out the bondwoman and her son, and uh, the son of the bondwoman shall be, I mean shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but are of the free. So this is once again, he's comparing two children, one of the promise, the other of not. So people still want to keep the Lord today. I mean, it's really amazing to watch. It's really crazy to think about that people even to this day will still think by my own righteousness, I'll have Christ. And you can't can't do it that way, man. You got to believe God and let him work in you. That's why when you go into a church today and you speak freely about Christ, the the, uh, Pharisees ask Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? You see how the bond man hates the free man? Who told, you're not even a Pharisee. You're not even a member of a, who gave you the right to speak and to say anything in the presence of our Lord God? They didn't even understand God was standing right there in front of them. Man, this is why people, hey, I'm telling you, go into a church and start telling people about Christ and watch them ask you, what church do you belong to? What pastor are you sitting up under? What school did you go to to learn all of this? That's the bondman hating the free man. Galatians five, we're gonna just uh, pick it up right here, Galatians five, and let's look at verse uh, one. All right, he says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The law is being referred to here as a yoke of bondage. If I gotta wait till the Sabbath day to worship Christ, my heart is faint, okay? And if you get called on that 24 hour period to go and serve Christ or to go to minister to somebody, what are you gonna do? You're gonna tell the Lord, Lord, I keep the Sabbath. So I know that can't be God telling me to do something. That's the devil. You see, because you're bound up by law. And when you're bound by law, you don't have that freedom. And that's why the Bible says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's what this is about. Oh, look at verse two, behold, I Paul say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. But I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Now, is he speaking of just circumcision? No. He's speaking of people wanting to be circumcised to keep the law. This was one of the things that the Galatians were told. You got to be circumcised to be of Christ. And he said, man, if you get circumcised, they ain't going to profit you anything. But he says, if you keep one part of the law, you are in debt to keep the whole law. That means you better have a bullock out at 6 p.m. sacrificing him. You better own a farm and you better meet every need that is told to you or you will be judged according to it. So you see what curse gets put on us? Simply because we wanna be righteous in our own standards. Man. Anyway, look at verse four, look at this warning. He says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are falling from grace. People don't even realize they are skating on thin ice that if God were to judge them right now, trying to keep the law, that they would go to hell. Because keeping the law suggests that you don't believe in Jesus, okay? I'm not talking about putting aside a day, Lord, every Thursday, you and I are gonna be together. Lord, every Saturday, I I wanna spend some time with you. If that's what you wanna do in liberty of the spirit, so be it. But if you're keeping the Sabbath, now you're gonna have a problem. Does that make sense? Because you're trying to be righteous by your own standards. Let me drink some water, man. My throat is. Was... I may lose my voice in this one. All right. So anyway, he says, Where am I? Uh, verse 5. For we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision but faith which worketh by love. Look at what he says in verse seven, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This is where a lot of people can get born again, wanna follow Christ, they were doing well. And then somebody, you know, came to them and said, all right, give me that chain, and I want you to put it around your neck, and I want you to walk around and serve us. That's why, you know, we gotta be real careful how we exercise authority in ministry. If someone chooses to not come back or do whatever, let them go. If they have reason and the Lord is telling them to go wherever, go. If they wanna leave here and go and sit in another church, even if it's false, all you can do is tell them about it, but let them go. Why? Because there's freedom in the spirit. You don't have a right to make somebody your servant. All we do is tell people the truth and they choose to go where they go. But one thing we do not do is yoke people. I remember in my old church growing up that if you weren't in the church, like if you missed three months in being there, you had to fill out a process all over again to become a member. I'm not even lying to you. If you were out for three months, you had to start all over again. Now who gave man the authority to do that? But this is all a part of the law. You see, because some people think they sinned against their church. They don't believe they sinned against Christ. All sins that we commit are against the Lord. Jesus said, not Jesus, um, David. He said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. He sinned against God. All sin is against God, not to man. Verse 8, he says, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. This isn't of Jesus. He says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole love. A little law in there, a little unbelief, a little flesh and the spirit is annulled, okay? So he says in verse 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will uh, be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. So you got people out there trying to turn you back to the Lord, they're gonna bear the judgment of that. What I'm quoting is scripture. Some people say, oh, you dare speak against the Sabbath. Jesus spoke against it. Okay, he didn't say don't keep the Sabbath. He made it very clear, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And then when they even said Jesus didn't keep the Sabbath in John 5, Jesus explained to them why he didn't keep the Sabbath. Because you're supposed to love the Lord your God every day. The the, uh, Sabbath was not given to us until the law. So if Jesus says, love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself, On those two commandments, hang all the law, not some, not what we think should be considered law, all the law and the prophets. That's what we ought to do. But if we think that we're gonna be done by our own righteousness, I'm telling you, you're living under a curse. Uh, So where am I in verse 11? And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do ye yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased? I would that they were even cut off, which troubled of you. Paul says, Man, if we're sitting here worrying about the law, whether or not we should keep the law. Paul is saying, Man, I'd rather you be castrated so that we can go on and believe Christ. That's pretty much what he's saying right here. Okay, so he says in verse 13 For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh but by love serve one another." So you see, serving one another is what God wants. God gives us liberty. You're not commanded when to pray. You're not told when to do A, B, and C, but just don't use that liberty as an occasion to go out into the world and go sin and go enjoy your life and do what you want. He says, but by love serve one another. So you see the ministry is 24 seven, but what God commands you to do in the ministry is your business. Now, if someone's telling you I'm meant to go into the bar to minister to people that are drunk, you know, that are, you know, in the bars and you go in there, and you're having a drink right there with them every night. I doubt the Lord is calling you to go and do this. You see what I'm saying? You want to enjoy getting drunk and you try and share the gospel with you. Steve Quill said he tried this years ago. He would go into a bar and try and minister to people and he would still have a drink. And he said, the guy heard everything he said about the love of Jesus. We need to follow the Lord and everything. He said, then the guy turned and looked at him and said, if you believe that, you wouldn't be in here. And Steve Quilt said from that moment, he said, I'd never drunk again or I will never go into a place like that. But if you go in there, you got to come right. Mm -hmm. But see, that was the devil telling him, you know, if you're such a Christian, then what are you doing in here having a drink with me? You see, but that's how you can be. You can have your power taken away, you know, by you claiming you're a Christian and people say, man, you're not a Christian, look at you. So, well, man, we gotta be right with the Lord. So he says in 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All of the law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. All right, look at verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Then he says, but if ye are led by the spirit, ye are not under the law. Once again, Paul is bringing forth this point. If we're in the spirit with God, we're not under law. He's told you what the fulfillment of the law is. I mean, it's almost like you just want to tell people, what part of that do you not understand? You know, like, what's the matter with you? You know, don't you hear what he's saying? Look at verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they, would do, that they would do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God." Now this is true. You go up under Levitical law while we're under the new covenant, and you're gonna be one of these. You'll be an adulterer because you're going right back to what you were and not following Jesus in the new covenant. You see all these laws, you'll become an idolater because you worship the law and the Sabbath and all these other things and not what Jesus told you to. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So you will be one of these, you'll be unclean because you can't be made right by the law, that's clear. You see what I'm saying? So there's always something, you know, that you will be if you work in the flesh under the new covenant. You're going to be one of these. You're going to emulate. That's why a lot of people do that today, because they don't hear from heaven. They don't hear from the Lord. They don't hear from the spirit. They hear what other people do and copy it. That's emulations. There will be heresy because they tried to convince the Galatians you can keep Jesus. We're not telling you don't worship Jesus. We're just saying to add the Sabbath and all the other laws, and you must be circumcised in order to be right with Christ. You see, so heresies come in. All these things will come in. And when you're working in the flesh under the new covenant, that's what this is about. But he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there's what? No law. You can't put a law on love. You can't put a law on peace. You can't put a law on joy. You can't put a law on long suffering, on goodness or gentleness or meekness or temperance or faith. You know, you got a little bit of self-control, but we need to, you know, that's too much self-control. You know, they're trying to put laws on that. You can't put a law on temperance. You can't put a law on faith. You see what I'm saying? That's the freedom of the spirit. This is what Paul is trying to sum up so that we understand and guarantee you somebody's gonna send me a message about this and say, I like to keep all of God's laws personally. And you know, I only listen to those that worship the Sabbath. Then go ahead. But when you do, you're going under a curse. I'm not going with you. I'm going under grace in faith to be under Christ. If you wanna go back to the law, knock yourself out. Go back to it and enjoy what you want, but you're going to be under a curse. Amen. Man, so anyway, he says, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. So you see, if you're of Christ, he's going to crucify, the Holy Ghost will crucify the affections and lust, giving you what? the nature of Christ. You can't do this on your own. This is by nature that you become what Jesus wants. Verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another or envying one another. Let's go to Romans six, because I got to cover two things before we close up. because they cut me off earlier. So, you know, we got to do what we got to do you will never shut this mouth up. The only one that's going to shut me up is Jesus <laughs> trying to cut me off. Now let me find out that thing is gone. I'm going to go and do part one all over again because I know where I started. Oh, i not want to mess around with that. Okay. This time I'm going to really have something to say. All right, look at Romans six, we're only gonna do a few verses here and then we're gonna move on to Romans seven and eight, okay? But we're gonna um, do a few verses of each, but we just wanna bring forward this point. Romans six and one, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?" Now I know that's the question I'm gonna be asked. Okay, so now that you said we're not under the Lord, does that mean that I just go and sin and sin freely? Paul's gonna answer the question here. He says, God forbid, for how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Then he says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death or into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of his father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So what we're talking about is having the new life of Christ by nature. We should be dying out of the flesh. Now, if you wanna call these works, you can call them that, but through fasting and prayer that you can have your flesh crucified. If you live in the spirit and you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about allowing God to take us and change our natures that we will be like Christ. That's why the Bible says our lives are hid in Jesus. Because you know, once you are born again, you forsake your life for the life of Christ. So when Christ wants to go and do something, you got no right to say anything other than to get up and do it. That's what this is about. Verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So there's the answer to your question. You're not going to sin, but one thing you are gonna do is allow the Lord to take these things out of your life. You know, you wanna get rid of the old man, guys, here's how you get rid of him. Everything associated with him, get rid of. Everything that you used to live and do, stop doing. And the old man will be starved out by nature. That's what this is about, you know? Verse seven, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death have no more dominion over him for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God." And I just wanna bring another point here, but it says in First Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse nine, that the law was not made for a righteous man, but for the ungodly, but for sinners, but for all these other people. So you see, if you allow the Lord to work on you and you're not committing those sins, okay, then the law is not made for you. You know, it's just like if you're riding on a highway, we brought up this point many times, but it's just like if you're riding on the highway and you go past the speed limit. Now, if you hear a police siren, automatically you slow down or you start looking around because you know you're breaking the speed limit. But if you're going according to the speed limit, if you hear a siren, you don't care because you know he's not looking for you. You know, so that's the whole point behind this. It's about allowing the Spirit of God to work. But you see, all Lord does is make you conscious of sin, and that's why He says the um, what is it? The strength of sin, or the the sting of sin, is the law. The strength of sin is the law. It's in First Corinthians fifteen, but if you can find it, it's towards the end, like in fifty eight or whatever. But you see, all sin does is remind you. Um, all, all Lord does is remind you of your sin. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. When are you going to be the individual that is, okay, Lord, I'm obeying what you're saying, and I'm going to go according to what you tell me by faith? But if you try and say, no, I can't fornicate, you know, because it says under the law, I won't fornicate, you're going to get frustrated. But if you give it to Jesus and you say, Lord, you don't want me to, let me walk in the spirit with you and you will change my nature. If you love Christ, he'll give you his spirit and it'll change your nature. So you don't have to care about thou shalt not. You won't because you don't want to. You see what I'm saying? All the Lord does is make you conscious of what you do. But the only time that the spirit of God gets to you and he changes you and you don't want to do these things, I could go and do stuff if I wanted to, but I don't. I don't want to. The Lord is changing my nature to be more like him. But thou shalt not doesn't change the heart. You see, that's the point that, that I'm trying to make it. Saying don't fornicate. Okay, I know I'm not supposed to, but I still want to. Why? Because your nature is that way. Under Sharia law, cut off his hands if he steals. You didn't change the thief in his heart. Now, he may know somebody to have your hands cut off and continue stealing. Now he'll just tell somebody with his lawns behind his back. Hey, man, can you get that for me? Yeah, I'll pay you for it. See, a thief is a thief. There's nothing that you can do about a thief except change his heart. And the only one that can change his heart and pull out that iniquity is Jesus Christ, period. Romans seven, you gotta move quickly. Go ahead, Sarah. This is 1 Corinthians
1: 15 and 56. Listen. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law.
0: There you go. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. And Paul's gonna talk about that right now. I'm teasing Geno Jennings. Listen, you know when they say things, he just, all right. Look at Romans 7, and let's look at verse 1. We're almost done, guys. He says, Know ye not, brethren, that I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth? For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So why is Paul saying that? We all know that a woman is supposed to be bound to her husband until death. But if the husband be dead, the woman is set free to go forward and live her life. But look at verse three. This is why he's telling him. Is it verse three? Yes, verse three. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from that law so that she is she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So he's bringing this point forward that you can't keep both. You're either going to go under the covenant of Christ by faith or you're going to stay up under the Levitical law. It's up to you. One is a curse. The other will bring you unto the promise of salvation by faith. So that's what we gotta look at here. So you know, Jesus is judging this or Paul is looking at this in terms of marriage. If you keep any part of the old law, you're falling from grace and you're cheating on Christ. You can't call yourself a Christian and go back to the old law. Verse four, he says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So it's all about being married to Christ. The law is dead and we need to leave the law where it is. Can we learn a lot of things from the law in the Old Testament? Absolutely, I'm teaching it all the time. But the the fact of the matter is we are the children of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ, not under the law. Verse five, but when we were in the flesh, The motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members and bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held and uh, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What's the letter? The law. Okay, so he's saying the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter. Because letter carriers love to tell you. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But the bottom line is the newness is of the spirit. Fall in love with Jesus. Fulfill the first and great commandment of the law. And God will give you his spirit and change your nature. That doesn't mean you commit adultery until you do. It means that you walk away from those things and serve Christ. Okay, you've got to turn away from it. but Only he can make you right by nature. The law is just a bunch of rules and regulations. Verse seven, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid it. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, but I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. He's telling you right here. Sometimes this can be best explained, even in school where they try and teach you about Um, sexual sex education. This can be brought forward. They'll tell a kid, don't do this, but here's how you do it. Okay, so what would be the point in that? Okay, we want you kids to not get married. I mean, to to get married before you have sex, but let me just tell you about protection in case you guys can't hold on. You see what this brings? But you see, through the law, it makes you made aware of sin but outside of that, Adam and Eve obeyed God by nature. They didn't need law.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All they needed was to know what was good and what was evil, but by nature, they were good. The choice was theirs. Look at verse eight, but sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. But I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. That's why we've got to know Christ, because if we keep the Lord, we're trying to keep the law, all right, and we're not changing our nature, all it's going to take is one commandment that'll say, thou shalt, and that sin will kick up in you. That rebellious nature will kick right up in you. It's just like when we preach to people about forsaking the world and walking with Jesus. If the Spirit hasn't filled that part of their lives in yet, they get mad by nature. You see what I'm saying? Sin revives and you die. Jesus says, love your neighbor, give away what you have, give to the poor. When you hear that commandment and you're you're still a self-serving person, sin is going to revive and you die. You go right back to where you came from. Anyway, verse 10, and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death, for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it it slew me. It happened to the best of us. Look at 12. Wherefore the, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Uh, was then uh, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that I might appear sin, I mean sin if. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death uh, in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For that I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. So this is what he's talking about here. How many people have tried to stop sinning in their own righteousness and not drawn closer to Jesus? You're gonna hate what you do. Look at what he says again. Where is that? Oh, so he said, look at verse 14. I wanna make this point. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. What does he mean? The only way you can keep the law is to be spiritual. But God knows we've got a carnal fallen nature that he's working with, that's why we have grace. Because you ever ask yourself, how is it that the angels of God don't sin? Because they don't have that nature. So when Lucifer went that way, Lucifer did that willfully. But you see, Lucifer had the nature of Christ, of God. He just went his own way because he wanted more. You see what I'm saying? But how do the angels in heaven, man, they don't even commit one sin. How did Paul and these guys stay with the Lord? Not even sinning, because their natures were changed. Christ was formed in them. But look at what he says in 15. But that which I do, I allow not. Okay, so that which you should do, you don't. Okay, then it says, For what I would, that I do not. So I should be praying, should be following the Lord, should be righteous, but I can't do right. Then he says, but what I hate, that I do. I hate sinning, but I can't stop it. This is where a lot of people get caught up. It's just like when we were dealing with that brother the other day that was struggling with alcoholism. And I told him, man, you're going to have to get closer to Christ. And you've got to hate what you do to be with the Lord. Sarah told him that you got fear. She said she had fear around it. And he said, that's what it is, fear. What is fear? A lack of faith. But you see, he says he hates what he does, but he's not drawing closer to Christ. He's running to man. You could see that when we were talking to that brother. You know, he kept talking about the church tells me to do this. And I mean, I do this. Then I go over here. Then I go to this place. Then I go to that place. Man, you're trying to please man, not God. Because when you're trying to please God, you lay yourself on the altar and you give it to Christ that he can work this thing out. But you see, when you try and please men, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to backslide. You're going to continue sinning because you trusted man and not God. But when you put it in Christ and you walk in the spirit and you commune with Jesus Christ, he will change who you are by nature. Let's move on. I got to go to Romans 8 because I want to make this point. But Paul is saying, man, I want to stop doing what I'm doing. Now, Paul wasn't a sinner. Paul is just explaining through the spirit how people get yoked and how this happens. This is Romans 8. Look at verse 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Okay, so that also, going back to what we were just talking about, we must understand if we fulfill what Jesus says, to love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You enter into a relationship while the Lord is cleaning you out. You see what I'm saying? You don't wanna hurt God. You don't wanna rebel against God. So that even adds to helping you to get through this. Lord, I know you're right. Lord, you're real. I don't wanna do this. So he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. If we're in Christ, we won't be condemned. You keep the law, all you've done is sin from that point on. Mm -hmm. Look at verse two. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So as you can see, guys, there's two laws here. Stop listening to people lie to you and tell you things that are not true. Because some people here try and say, see, this is the law. One is the old Mosaic law. The other is the law of the new covenant of the spirit, the Holy Ghost that God gives us. These two were in contrast. Look at verse two. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law the Mosaic law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God um, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemn sin in the flesh. The law could not do certain things because it was weak through the flesh. That's why God sent us his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to give us his spirit to condemn sin in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Verse four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, what law is he talking about?
1: Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul,
0: thy mind, and thy strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Amen. So the law, look at verse 4 again, that the righteousness of the Lord might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And it's that clear. Look at verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. We do this by nature. You spend time with Jesus, you'll pay attention to spiritual things. You spend time in the world, you'll pay attention to worldly things. Verse six, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, it makes you the enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So, you can't even obey God with a carnal mind. It's going to take a change in nature. Sabbath keepers, carnal mind. You know, um, what do you call Keeping the, um, what's the other thing they do? I'm trying to remember. Well, anyway, you keep any part of the Lord it's the carnal mind. Because you believe through carnal works that you're drawn closer to God. When all God wants you to do is seek, ask it not, that that veil be lifted, that you walk into Christ. He gets into you, and your job is finished. At that point, the more time you spend with Jesus, you'll become like Jesus. Jesus was sinless. Christ forms in you. We're done. At that point, you can obey God because Jesus Christ himself is living in you, and he's the only one who can walk this life or live this life without sin. That's what they're not telling people, man. Look at verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Uh, Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So it don't matter how many Sabbaths you keep. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, You don't belong to Jesus. That's what the Bible is making clear right here. Okay, so anyway, he says um, he is none of his. Okay, verse 10, thanks. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead Dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh a thing. The flesh has been a thorn in our side from the moment Adam and Eve fell. We don't owe any works to the flesh. And then he says, to live after the flesh, but um, for if we live after the flesh, uh, ye shall die. But if ye through, through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of your body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Or does it say as many of us that are led by the Sabbath, by the old Levitical law, through sacrifice bullock, through dietary laws, through circumcision, None of those things have anything to do with this. This is those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. Last place I'm gonna go to for the night and I'm just gonna read straight through. So this is um, Hebrews nine and I was gonna end it. But what I was gonna do was um, before I was gonna go to Romans 3, um, Galatians 3, uh, 4 and 5. Then I was supposed to go to Romans 6, 7, and 8. I mean, and then I was supposed to go to Hebrews um 7, 8, and 9. So in your spare time, read Hebrews 7 and read Hebrews 8. And you know, if you can, read the rest of uh what do you call it? 7, um Romans 7 and Romans 8. But you know, in your spare time, you've got to read Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 8. But we're gonna finish it off now in Hebrews chapter 9. But you know, I just want to tell people, don't let anybody push you up under the law, okay? Because the law was not made for a righteous man. We are under the new covenant under Christ. And the only way to fulfill the law is to love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says on those two commandments, keep all the law and the prophets. Hang it all on there. He said all the law. And people still think, yeah, but if I keep the Sabbath. tell you, man, you are messing with your salvation. All right, Hebrews 9, let's look at verse 1. It says, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shoe which is called the sanctuary. So you know that the way that the temple was made in the Levitical law is very much how we're made today. It was the outer court, the inner court, the most holy place. And then we are made body, soul, and spirit, okay? This is what they're talking about. But it says that there was the candlestick, that's the Holy Ghost, the table, which is God the Father, and the shoe bread, which is Jesus Christ. So what was the uh, the Holy Ghost there to do? illuminate the shoe bread. That's what it was there for in the dark room. God the Father, God over all, in control of all. Jesus Christ, the bread of life is the shoe bread. That's what he represented in the old law and the Holy Ghost was meant to illuminate the bread. What did Jesus say? When the Holy Ghost comes, he's going to speak of me and he's gonna bring you into all truth and righteousness. This is the very light that we carry in us that he told us from the beginning to not be ashamed. Verse three, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot uh, that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. So look at what's in the holiest of all. They're going now through the second veil. Okay, when that veil was lifted, because all the sacrifices had to be made in the inner court. Okay, that's where the sacrifices were made, where the high priest would go. I mean, where the priest would go. Okay, where do we make our sacrifices today? In the soul. We give God our mind, be renewed in the spirit of our mind, our will. We find out God's will for us and our emotions, which are given over to God. God will govern them, okay? So our sacrifice is made in the inner court, but now they're going to the holiest of all, and look what's in there, the golden center uh, and the Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant? That represents God's throne. It was overlaid roundabout with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had the manna. What does the manna represent? That's God's sustenance, like Jesus, the bread of life. He was that manna that fell down from heaven. Mm -hmm. So that's what you get in the spirit. You get God's sustenance. God will meet every need that you have. Remember how Jesus told them, man, take no purse, no script, no nothing with you. I'll take care of every need. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, okay? So what you have here is God's sustenance. God is good, God takes care of his. And Aaron's rod that budded, what did that represent? God's authority. Remember the rod that was given? That was the authority of God. That's what's in the spirit waiting for you and I when we give it to Christ. And then it says, and the tables of the covenant. What are the tables of the covenant? Those two laws that the 10 commandments, the two um, stone tablets that the 10 commandments were written on. What did Jeremiah 31 and 31 say? that we wouldn't be following those laws on stone tablets, but they would be written in our hearts. You read that again in Hebrews 10, that you will obey God by nature, because it's in your heart. God's in your heart. He's not, you're not looking at, okay, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, okay. that is not gonna work that way. Through relationship, God's gonna write these tables of stone in your heart, that you're gonna say, Lord, I love my neighbor, I can't commit adultery. Lord, I love you and I will put nothing before you. That's what God wants. That's a change in nature. Let me go. And then it says in verse five, and over it, the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot speak truth. I mean, cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. What's the service of God? Remember, they would kill the bullock, mm-hmm. right? But what did Paul say in Romans chapter 12 and 1? Now we beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is what? Your reasonable service. Now look here at verse um. Six, he says, accomplishing the service of God. That's our reasonable service. What was the second? And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse seven says, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood. So he had to have blood with him, which was offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So let's understand this. While you had old Solomon's temple, there was no real holiest of all as far as the spirit. They went into the holiest place, but we're talking about the spirit. These guys didn't have that, okay? So they had to come in with blood you know, of the animals and do all this. Now remember, why this is important is, the first tabernacle for us would be Adam. While Adam stands, there'll be no remission of sins. Okay, while Adam exists, there'll be no Jesus Christ in your life. While Adam rules your life, there will be no eternal life and salvation in Christ. So that's why he says we must get rid of the old man and walk in newness of life with the new man. As long as Adam is alive and well, he will never serve Jesus Christ. So you've got to be born again and kill Adam through getting rid of Adam and allowing the spirit of God to work through you that the new tabernacle can stand that is full of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Verse nine, which was a figure for the time of then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him, oh, that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So can you believe with all this work, they were not allowed to be made perfect because it says as pertaining to the conscience. So all going there once every year to do was remind God is, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. I've got this bucket of blood because I'm a sinner. I've got to sprinkle this on the mercy seat because I'm a sinner. Every year we've got to come and sanctify ourselves and the people. So what did that leave the conscience? Just reminding you that you're a sinner. And unless you do this for God, you're not gonna be in good standing with him. Look at 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. It was imposed on them. This is not a free will offering. They had to do this to be in good standing with God. Let me make the point, verse 11, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So it's not about the building anymore. You're the temple of the living God that God works through. And then he says in verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered and once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now you remember the heavenly tabernacle was supposed to be modeled. I mean, the, the earthly tabernacle that Moses had in the temple was supposed to be modeled after the heavenly tabernacle. When Jesus died and he resurrected, he went up to heaven with his blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat for you and I that sanctified us of our sins. That's what went on. Praise Jesus. Look at verse 13. I believe that's where I am. Verse 13. But if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh uh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, through, um, through the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So you see how he purged our conscience from dead works? We follow Jesus by nature. It's not on your conscience to be a sinner. When the Holy Ghost wants you to do a thing, he's going to make it known to you so that you can just can stay in good standing with God but you don't have to be reminded year after year, I'm a sinner. Jesus did this one thing for all time, for those who believe. You got to believe in the sacrifice. You all right, sir? You look like you're in pain. No. All right, so um, where am I? Verse uh, 15, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressors, that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. But where the testament is, there must also be the necessity of um, also the necessity be the death of the testator. For the testament is of force after men are dead; otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So, if Jesus didn't die and sacrifice himself but you and I to make it, and he, when he showed up again before his disciples, how will we believe that there's eternal life? How will we believe in the new covenant that Christ in you is the hope of glory if he died and remained dead, and you go to his grave and you see nothing but maggots eating them up, or you see bones there are now dust? How can we believe this? But you see, he died, he buried, and he resurrected, which gave life and strength and faith to that New Testament. Where am I? Uh, Verse 18, Uh, whereupon neither the first Testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats, which um, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the, the book and all the people saying, this is the blood of the testament, which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And also, I mean, almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Because you know, it all comes from heaven. So the sacrifice that Jesus made in heaven purified everything here on earth. All we've got to do is believe and live for Jesus. Verse 24, for Christ is not entered into the holy place, holy places made with hands, which are the figure of the true, but into but into heaven itself not to appear in the presence of God for us, now, now yet, oh, now yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth uh, enter into the holy place every year with blood of others, for then must ye, I mean, must he often have, sac- have suffered uh, since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin. That's why we ought to appreciate Jesus because he really kept us from living uh, um, in a law that we couldn't even fulfill. We would have never gotten to the end. I think it would have got to a point where everybody would eventually been killed because nobody could keep the law. Moses obeyed God, but you see that came apart in Moses' heart where he got angry against his neighbor. And you can kind of say he was kind of mad at God too. You know, if you really think about it, because the Lord told Moses to tap the rock, you know, twice, you know, or whatever, or tap the rock and the water will pour out. But Moses got mad and, you know, slammed it twice. So he lost his cool. So in doing so, he wasn't perfect. Even with all his interceding, he came to an end but Jesus Christ never came to that end. Jesus Christ was righteous from start to finish, and he will be through all of eternity. No matter who you measure to Christ in this Bible, Jesus had something like all of them, but Jesus was greater than them all. He had more wisdom than Solomon, and Solomon was the wisest. He had more of a heart to the Father, and David was known as a a man after God's own heart. You count Elijah, you count all of them, all of these men have fallen short of God's glory except one, and that's the God-man, Christ Jesus. I promise, guys, we're gonna close because I know this is kind of lengthy tonight, but he says, um, look at verse 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that looked for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So I just wanted to end it with that because I wanted people to understand if you keep the Lord, then you don't even realize in in chapter nine of, of Hebrews, the marvelous work that Jesus Christ did. He did a work that no man can copy, that no man can follow. You can't add to this sacrifice only then to give yourself up to Christ and believe in faith that he may give you his spirit and you turn away from your sins and do what he says. That's the only sacrifice that will be made. That is the only law we ought to keep, and it's called the law of faith. By the Spirit of Christ, which Jesus Christ is, our greatest, and our Lord, and our Savior, and our King, and our bread of life, and everything you can add, it's all about Jesus, and it's all gonna end with Jesus. And there is no stinking flesh that is going to come in the midst and try and accommodate this by doing extra. He says our righteousness are as filthy rags. And you know what that means? That's a menstrual cloth. That's a, that's a filthy menstrual cloth is our righteousness before God. We need to give it to him, obey him and be made right in the image and likeness of Christ. So I just want to tell people with that, I love you. And I'm going to give it to Sarah right now. She's going to present something and we're going to close out in prayer. Let's go to
1: Mark 8 and verse 1.
2: All right, Mark 8 and verse 1. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from afar. And his disciples answered him, From whence? Can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? So you can see that Jesus is trying to get them to think, okay, we're in the wilderness. These men have been with me for three days. They fasted with me for three days. And if I send them away without anything with with inside of them, you know, then they're just going to, they're going to faint by the wayside. So he wasn't necessarily talking about physical bread as well. He's also giving them a hint as spiritual bread because he's like, they've been with me for three days. They've been fasting for three days. And if I send them away without anything, just like with us, if we're fasting, like it talks in the Bible, you know, don't be as the Pharisees, don't be as the hypocrites when they fast and, you know, they're, they make their faces look all sad and everything like that. And other religions that fast for their millions of gods and whatnot, and they can never get it right because they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're doing it for carnal reasons. But when we give it to Jesus Christ, he will fill us with his Holy Spirit. And he's got that bread of life. So he's actually getting them to think here. Verse five. And he asked them, how many loaves have you? And they said, seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set before them, them before the people. And they had a a few small fishes and he blessed and commanded to sit them also before them. So they did eat and were filled and took up the broken meat and uh, broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they had eaten, were about, and they that had eaten were about four thousand, and he sent them away. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples, and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question him. That's what the Pharisees were always good for—questions, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said. Why does this generation seeketh after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there should be no sign given unto this generation. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. As we know that when Jesus dealt with the Pharisees, they were always asking him like very tempting questions, very ignorant questions, to try and get him to come out. Of being who he was to say to try and almost prove to the people he's just a mortal man. Don't follow after him. That was their goal in life, and they were sent by Satan <laughs> to do this because everyone else, Satan was able to tempt and prove you're just the mortal man. You're just the mortal man. And the Pharisees were good at trying to to, to show the people, see why follow Jesus? He's just like we are, and they can never do it. But that was their goal in life, you know, until he died on the cross and he rose again the third day. Verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. Now this is interesting here, verse 14, when it says, now the disciples forgot to take bread. Sometimes when we go out and we minister and do other things, that I found this in my, in my own life, we can forget to take the Holy Ghost with us. And we begin to doubt, we begin to question, are we even supposed to be in this? Mm -hmm. Verse 15, and he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Now the Pharisees and Herod represented what? The religious power and the political power at that time, which is now again affecting the modern day Christianity, the political and the religious. And he's talking about this because Jesus Christ knows everything. Verse sixteen, and they answered among them, saying, "Is it because we have no bread?" And when Jesus knew it, he said unto them, "Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye, n- perceive ye, perceive not ye, neither understand. Have ye your heart? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, ye hear not?" And ye do not remember when I break the when I break bread, the five loaves among the five thousand. How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said unto him twelve. And when this. Huh?
1: Twelve. 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 Oh, oh, I'm reading no loaves. <laughs> oh, and when the
2: seven among the four thousand, how many baskets of full, of, full of fragments you took up? And they said seven. And he said unto them, how is it that you do not understand? And I, I the Lord really showed me this passage to say how quickly we can forget just like that in an instant. I mean, they this just happened within a couple of days and how quickly they forgot what he did for them. And the same thing can happen to us. The Lord will do stuff for us. And, you know, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done. And then before you know it, boom, we're in doubt again. And it's just that quickly. So it's. Within our own Christian walk, we have to understand that we have to stay up under Jesus all the time. We have to be in his word. We have to be in obedience. We have to do his will all the time because it's very easy, like what's preached about tonight, about the carnal nature. It is very easy for us to get up under some sort of religious spirit. It's easy for us to get up under some sort of whatever carnal mindset and to forget everything that the Lord's done for us. And that's why we've got to continue to stay with him. Mm
0: Right, we can go out in prayer, but I just wanna tell people, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, and you want to be saved and you want to give your life to Jesus, just repent of your sins, walk away from your sins and give it to Jesus Christ and he will fill you. But you've got to believe in his death, burial and resurrection. You got to believe he died for your sins you got to believe that he's covered you and he will wash you clean in his shed blood. But you've got to accept that offering and repent before God and God will make you whole. All right. So I just want to say I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundtrumpetministries.com. All right. And uh, you guys can email me if you got any questions or anything other than that. All right. Who's praying? I'll pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for our communion with you, Lord. And we just thank you for you tearing down that veil and dying for our sins. And we thank you, Lord, that the only law that we need to follow was Christ in us. And we just thank you, Lord, that you've given us your spirit, that we need to follow you by nature, that you have made it possible, Lord, that we can overcome sin that we can overcome condemnation, that we can overcome the world and the devil. And we just pray, Lord, that you make us your sons and your daughters, that we are led by your spirit every day, that you give us more liberty to serve you, Lord, as you paved the way, and that you make known to us what your will is for us. I pray for those who couldn't be here today. I pray for those who are struggling in sin. We pray for the homeless, Lord, who are without. And we just pray, Lord, for an anointing, a special anointing, that we may break every yoke that we encounter in you. And we pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Again, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com And until next time, have a good night.